space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Well, Jalo again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I have my friend Bob, my friend Jim with me. We're talking about episode eight of Strange New World, um, Star Trek. And this one has a Klingon on it. Probably the most featured Klingon we've had in quite a while on a Star Trek episode. Um, and uh, we'll chat about it. Uh, Bob and I have some issues that I don't know if Jim has the same issues or not. So I'm going to throw it over to Jim for a minute and see. Uh, did you have any concerns about the Klingons makeup or anything? Or, Well, you know, I could spoil your guys' whole issues with it by just laying Feel it all free. out. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he wasn't as Klingon as they have done lately. Um, you know, that he reminded me more kind of like a, a wharf level Klingon. Yeah, um, you know they they've gone kind of a little more overboard on the Klingons since then. Um, you know, it. Um, I I don't know if it was because you know they tried to humanize him more to try to make him more relatable. Uh, so they. Well, I will they say that Klingons they had earlier this season in the first episode they had some Klingons there, and they had more of that sort of wharf. Look, they definitely have dialed it back. I think I think what they're saying um on the at least every place that I'm reading about is that they they uh think they went too far with the war Klingons in Discovery. They yeah. were kind of a slick looking Klingon, almost like a Klingon crossed with a dolphin or something, because they had no hair. <laughs> and so but but uh then uh, apparently at, during war they have no hair or something and then <laughs> when the war is over they grow out their hair i don't know what's going on there but <laughs> yeah so so this one has hair but uh, the problem i had with this one was bob and i were just chatting before we went on the air is he looks like a cosplay person i mean the hair just looks like it's part of the cap that he's wearing to look like a Klingon and it, it's just some of the worst makeup I've seen in Star Trek in a long time that took me out of the whole plot. I mean, the actor was fine uh, and you certainly can't blame him for what they do. He has nothing to do with the makeup or anything, but that makeup person needs to uh, go back to school for doing makeup. I don't know. Like Bob, what well, you tell well, us more you know, about it, the makeup. And, and and I can see that actually. This is not Bob. This is Jim. But this is Jim, I'm yeah. in, interjecting here. Sorry, Bob. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it could be also a couple of different things. The budget, you know, so doing a lot more elaborate makeup is going to cost more money. Um, but also the amount of time. So if they wanted that actor and stuff like that, and he doesn't want to sit in the chair for makeup for you know six hours or whatever right. before the episode you know it's like okay you know i'll give you a couple hours and we'll do what we can so it could have been something yeah i mean this is a high budget show i mean it looks like when i saw him i thought this is bozo the clown i expected big clown shoes and a nose and it was so distracting i'm sorry sorry <laughs> that's good him, bob that's good a good vision it's gonna bump you out of the episode that could have been a that is it overall a, i mean they spent a, probably spent a boatload on those war scenes that could have been a really solid episode and then they've got Bozo the Clown with his hair sticking out and his red nose that's so distracting it you don't want to bump your audience out like that I mean, it's no. just not well and the the fact that they had some casual Klingons back in the first episode like I'm saying uh they had a group of them that Spock was drinking with remember and yeah. uh those Klingons look good they could have taken any of those and put them in here. I'm I'm just like, well, what happened between being able to make up 
a bunch of Klingons and do it a good job, and then be able to make a one Klingon that's your focus of the whole episode and have him not look good. If any Klingon should have looked fantastic, it's this Klingon, because I can't remember the last time you've had a Klingon other than Worf essentially carry the whole episode. I mean, as a guest cast member, he was in every in almost every scene. So yep. uh yeah, it's just almost. I, I am surprised the director or someone on set didn't say this is not doesn't work. I mean, I can't imagine that they weren't at least behind the scenes going. My gosh, did you look at that guy's makeup? But uh, anyway, that- I, I wonder. I'm trying to remember. I mean, so they'd had the war scenes and stuff like that, and they had Klingons in the war scenes. Wonder how they looked. I try, can't remember how they looked. Compared to his Klingons. Oh, yeah, you're saying there was more Klingons. Yeah. Uh, let me put it this way. They didn't, when I was watching them, I wasn't going, oh, my gosh, that guy's hair's messed up, too, or anything. I'm sure I would have. So they probably looked fine. I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to go back and relook at that, too. Because you're right, he's not the only Klingon in this episode. But, man. Yeah. I can't like think. Wearing- I mean, the last thing I could think of like this and I'm glad Bob picked up on it because I'm going, I'm going, okay, I'm just being nitpicky or something's going on with me. Cause the last thing I can think of like this was when Pike last season had his hair so big in some episodes that it kind of pulled you out of the episode. And that's what I felt like with this, where I just had a real hard time just going, okay, this I'm taking this guy as a real, I mean, it, it would have worked better if he was uh, somebody masquerading as a Klingon. And we found out later that he, removed his fake Klingonness and was a, a traitor or a spy or something, you know, whatever. But then I could have forgiven it. But the fact that he, oh, that's him. He was a Klingon and he was just a Klingon with really bad hair. But uh, I guess you have to accept it. it's like somebody having a bad hair weave or, or they have a, a hair plugs or something Maybe that that's what this Klingon had. Maybe he couldn't grow his hair back after the war, and so he had him put in hair plugs. I don't know. Hair plugs that are just like individual dreadlocks. Yes. Clump, 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 yeah. clump his head. Anybody yeah. can put a single hair in. We're going to put a dreadlock and just drill a hole, like a half-inch hole in your head and yeah. shove it in. It and that like is it what it looked like. I mean, his costume was like a bathrobe. It wasn't a bathrobe, but that's what it reminded me of. Like He's wearing his bathrobe all day long or something. Yes. were weird, too. Oh, that, that was, I agreed. His costume was weird, too. Yeah. So there's lots of... mail underneath, though. Yeah. But <laughs> let's move on to other things in the episode. I will say, <clears throat> I wasn't expecting to get flashbacks of uh, Mbanga and Chapel in during the war. Because we've never seen things like during the war. Uh, we just kind of skipped over the war. Um, but... To get that, I thought was interesting. Certainly, people have mentioned that there's kind of callbacks to MASH. Um, and there are. Some of the surgeries they did and things seem like something you'd see on MASH. Um, I don't know. I, I just I thought they did a good job with PTSD and the fact that these things are difficult to get over, get past. Um, definitely the point out we're going to spoil this one because there's spoilers throughout and there's an important one towards the end that we'll get into and we'll talk about as well um bob uh other things in this episode that you did like or that were interesting or anything i mean i thought it kind of reminded me of a, a uh um next gen episode for some reason sort of that yeah. flashback and the sort of the moral story behind it i like yeah i thought the the flashback scenes were really good and kind of really tense the way it was filmed i think yeah. that, that was really good the they made it kind of put you on edge that that right. part of it yeah so that, that worked i think the storyline was good and it was sort of a bit of a shock to see what mbanga does at the end yeah and the fact that he's actually the butcher of Tikal or whatever, not that guy. Yeah, that was a good switch up when he was the, as they kept on calling it, the, the guy with reputation on the fact that he was the butcher of whatever it's called. And uh, 
and that the real person that did that was Mbanga, not him. And and that uh, it surprised him when when he found out it was Mbanga. He didn't question it, but he's like, oh, well, that kind of messes my story up, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you know? uh, he, he was using that as the central piece of why he switched over and why he was, you know, trying to make peace. Um, you know, and then the question is, does it matter? I mean, he found a way to make him be able to support peace and from everything in the episode that never played it like, um, oh, he was lying about the peace thing. He was, he was just lying about his history. Um, but, and then to have the whole confrontation with Mbanga that they don't show us, they have it behind a glass, a fogged glass that we can't see through. So we don't know exactly what happened there, whether it was a fight that they were having together. Certainly uh, he kept challenging throughout the episode and bang it in some ways. Um, and in, in, in this way, at the end of the episode, essentially the Klingon gets killed. And if from all we can tell, it's Mbanga killing him with the knife that Mbanga, that we saw Mbanga had. Um, I don't know. Uh, Jim, what what was your feeling about that whole piece? Yeah, I I, I wasn't quite sure. It's like, were they trying to, you know, just Mbanga just killed him and they didn't want to just have it so blatant, you know, or, or did the other guy like try to attack Mbanga to quiet him to not ruin his reputation and so Mbanga killed killed him yeah. himself and so- but the only way it would make sense would be if like if that guy I mean if you're gonna look at it as self-defense or something would be if that guy grabbed the knife and was trying to stay stab Mbanga with it. But when we saw where the knife was placed, yeah. which I think was pro it could have just been a poor uh set piece that they were figuring out if they wanted to make it more ambiguous you would have had the knife in between the two or something because yeah. you had it behind him bang and it looked like there's no way that guy would be able to reach and get that knife so that means he was threatening banga with his bare hands i guess and then Mbanga stabs him with the knife it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and and Mbanga seemed like you know they were fairly evenly matched in fighting um with Mbanga might not being quite as good as the Klingon was, but I don't know. It's just weird to think that he had to go back and grab that knife and kill him. But, but part of it, I think is PTSD stuff. I mean, it's like if all of a sudden you were with this person who in some ways had given you this PTSD you had to deal with and had killed women and children and, and so forth, would you just kill him? And maybe that's what they're wanting us to wrestle with is is that Mbanga did just kill him. But, you know, with, with Chapel speaking up for him and the whole thing, it made it where it was inconclusive. So Mbanga gets to keep his job. We're just not used to our characters in our television shows killing the bad guys um, when they don't have to, you know. So I, I got to think Mbanga killed him. What was that? I thought Mbanga killed him because there was that one line, I came and looked for you when he's looking for him back during the war. And now here you are. Yeah. That made me think, oh, he took him out finally. Yeah. Well, I think that is probably what happened. But I don't know if they wanted to make it somewhat ambiguous so that we wouldn't know 100% or what was going on there. Um, or that they just didn't want to show the violence on camera. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So in some ways, I mean, not seeing it and the way they covered it made it ambiguous and things, to me, almost seemed more like a TOS thing. Because the original series, they did stuff like that, where all of a sudden someone's holding a knife, Scotty's holding a knife, and some girl's lying on the ground dead. And they have to say, oh, did he kill her? Did he not kill her? What happened? You know, um, and they did that a few times. And then, as you're saying, it also reminds me somewhat of a Next Generation episode. Either way... Uh, in some ways, not the best. I mean, I, I tend to like these discover these uh, episodes of of Strange New World because they seem like a new thing. 
it doesn't seem like they're just representing stories from next generation and so forth. In this way, sort of next generation would often have a visiting character to the ship that comes on is a catalyst for the whole episode. He's a visiting ambassador, whatever. And uh, like you said, this, they had one episode this season that we said could have been a straight TOS episode. That was the, the Lotus one that took place on Talos four where we were saying, boy, that episode could have, you would just have to rewrite it slightly and have it totally work as original series episode. This episode, you'd have to rewrite it just a smidge and it could be a next generation episode. Like you say, Bob, um, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah. Um, they wouldn't have done the whole having their character kill somebody though. Um, that's something new. Uh, anyway, uh, like I say, I like the flashback scenes. I like that it had Clint Howard on it again. It's always yeah. fun seeing him. He's been in Star Trek now. He's been in five different Star Trek series that he's appeared on. Um, I think I can run through them. I think he was on Deep Space Nine. Maybe that's the questionable one. But he was definitely on Enterprise, definitely on Voyager, Definitely on this series. Slice of Tranya. Definitely on the original Discovery. Yeah. Definitely on the original series. On the original, yes. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, all the way from the original. He's the only character that's been on this show that's been on from the original series. Um, I think that's also true of discovery i think he was the only one on there that was from the original series at any point he was also on deep space nine he played a a uh, ferengi okay so i was right with deep space nine i knew he wasn't on next generation and i didn't think he was on voyager but he was on enterprise um anyway interesting and uh did a nice job here i mean i, I always like it when he shows up um i thought that both Chapel and uh, Mbanga did a good job. Oh, and since this episode, it stirred up transporter talk uh, mm-hmm. that that I said we talked about early on in one of our podcasts before any of this stuff came up. Uh, I, I guess I know we we started our transporter discussion was after Mbanga was putting his daughter into the yeah the pattern buffer right. Yeah. In this episode, I thought it was kind of cool how they wrote a plot point to show that he would put people that were about ready to die and he didn't have the right supplies to fix them into the transporter buffer and then call them back later when he could actually have a chance to to keep them alive. Um, and they did that with somebody uh, during this episode. And that brought up people online to finally have the conversation that we had a year ago, which is, well, could you just put your people in the pattern buffer, have a duplicate of them in the pattern buffer. And uh, in case they die or in case something happens. Right. Um, and a lot of folks were saying, yeah, I don't see why not, you know, sort of thing. Um, I was saying that we, I don't know if we said it directly or not, but, but essentially we were saying, well, maybe they should keep the red shirts in the pattern buffer. Cause they die so much that you can always call back your red shirt and have him not die. Um, but uh, you would think you would do that just for your away team every time because you can have it. You would take away all the danger of them getting killed or whatever because you can always just reconstitute them. Um, but I think that brings up the whole <laughs> conversation of what about a person's soul? Is that does their soul then just exist in whatever recreated body you have? Their soul is in there, or how does that work? I don't know. The, the whole, yeah, the whole thing brings up like I think I've done this thought experiment before, but no one kind of quite got it. So let me like go through it. So now you have like yourself, right? Yeah. And now you're duplicated, and then the original you's gone. You duplicate is not really you. I mean, right. your the consciousness of the original one is broken. Right. From external, everyone else thinks it's exactly the same because the new creation acts, thinks, and has all yeah. the same memories. But it's not really the same 
These are sort of weird, like you said, soul things. But there's almost no way for us to know until you were able to try this thing. Because once you were able to try it, you can see, does this person apparently have the same soul, the same, is he the same person? Everything, memories, thoughts, act, everything. Um, or is he somehow slightly different or degraded in some way? So it brings to that whole transport discussion. And I think the writers, they these episodes probably take it about as close to that edge as, as they're going to, because anything else you do is it just it makes the whole concept of transporting difficult, and it makes it yeah. where you got to explain it more and more. things. So so as long as we're of the thought that the guy disappears on this end, reappears on the other end with their soul intact, with all of them intact, and you're not creating duplicates, I think you can accept that with your mind. If if you're creating an army, Jimmy the ensign army to go fight your battles, almost like the clone army, I guess, in some ways in Star Wars, um, you lose a lot of things and you have to explain a lot of things. So I think they don't want to go there. Well, and they they kind of talked about the, uh, like the organ replicator or whatever. Right. Not being working and stuff like that. You know, and that would kind of almost tie into that because I was thinking it's like, oh, you got somebody that's dying and they need some kind of organ transplant. You can just take their thing out of the pattern buffer and replicate a new version of them and then take all the organs out of that person and, and put it in the original person. And it's kind of, right. like, you know, it's like, and so that's almost kind of like, it seemed like their organ replicator thing is doing that same kind of con- technology, but rather than, doing a whole person and then harvesting their organs to put into somebody else. You just replicate their organs. Right. You know, so all of a sudden you just got a bunch of these organs laying on a platform instead of the, the whole person. And then you put the organs. So it's, it's okay to replicate the organs and do it not to replicate the person and take the organs out of the person. Well, it's just this whole discussion about all of that stuff brings up so many moral conundrums and ethics and all of that kind of stuff that they don't really have the time to present or, or go through. Um, but yeah, I totally see what you're saying. <laughs> you're going, well, it doesn't seem right for us to create Ensign Jimmy and Ensign Jimmy shows up and then we shoot him in the head because we just need his heart. And, uh, um, or, or if you say, well, we don't, we feel guilty about that. So we'll have Ensign Jimmy in the pattern buffer, but we'll just, uh, materialize his heart on the platform and take that or better yet probably beam his heart out of his body and beam in this new heart into his body and not even have to do the surgery it just reattaches well, and, and, and if you're going to do all of that with the transporter technology it's like oh look this person's dying okay put him on the transporter pad and we're going to disintegrate him and with the the recording or the the backup copy that we have he disappears. He comes back. He's all healed. Right. You know, of course, I guess he'd lose your memories from if they're using an old version of you that wasn't injured. Then right. since that, since whenever that You're last, becoming an older version of yourself, yeah, that, that mean, copy, yeah. that copy wouldn't have any of the, the newer memories and stuff like that from since the copy was made. But yeah, it definitely brings up interesting topics of discussion anyway. Oh, and I was wrong in Deep Space Night. He didn't play a a, a uh, Frangi, play a Frangi in Enterprise. Okay, in Deep Space Nine. It was some kind of homeless guy on some planet, kind of looking yeah. guy. That's cool that they feature him in so many series, though. Especially that they feature him in this one, and that this is such a callback to the to the original. That's kind of cool to have him in the original and in this one. Um, anyway. Uh, Let's look at uh, who do you give the acting award to or for character development or whatever. I'd say you pretty much, to me, have to give it to Mbanga. So I'll give it to Mbanga, and I thought he did a, a pretty decent job with a complicated script, right? Um, Bob, who would you give it to? Yeah, I mean, it's got to go Mbanga. It's a whole new thing for you think of it as being... I mean, you could give it to Chapel again because Chapel does a good job too and is in the 
the as a central part of this episode, but yeah, not yeah as kind of as, as a, yeah, as a, as a team, they both were kind of the main character, yeah. their main driving thing. But Umbengo um, definitely was more. Yeah, so you would do Meg as well. All right, now let's go for a rating between. <laughs> I don't know how much I should knock off <coughs> for our cosplay version of the Klingon. Um, what I especially like is we've already watched the episode that happens right after this, which is the um, the the musical episode. And the Klingons in there were hardly on the screen, but they all looked better than this Klingon looks. So, of course, they made them a flashier. They had, they had flashier clothes than they usually have, but that helped with their dance number. So, uh, for this episode, looking taking all the pieces into play and everything, I'll give it a 7, 7.5, something like that. Um, Bob, were you uh, with this thing? Yeah, seven, I think. Could have been a great, great episode. It was a few things changed. Yeah, if you, if the Klingon just had better hair, I had to knock it down two points because of the Klingon's hair. No, but if, if the Klingon had better hair and with a little tightening up of the writing in a few places and things, could have made it into a great episode. Um, Jim? Yeah, I would I would give it a seven yeah. as well. You know, it, it, it wasn't... It had... Potential and had some good parts. I like the the flashback scenes the most. Um, yes, you know, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't one of the better ones. No. Oh, also, also, just to throw this in, Clint Howard holds the record for the longest time between his first and his most recent appearance in a Star Trek episode. Yeah. So it's been it was just under fifty seven years. Between his first appearance in Star Trek, you can still if 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 Lace, if Sulu or Kirk was to appear on one uh, on on uh, well any current Star Trek series, um, they would eclipse that because they were definitely in episodes before Clint, but not many. I mean Clint. Clint's episode was the, I think it was essentially the third pilot because, yeah, it was. Um, they aired it later, but you can tell when you look at the uniforms, they were pretty dicey. They were they were definitely between, like they were just moving away from the uniforms from the second pilot and the first pilot, which both had them in the, the non-black they had the turtlenecks then or whatever it was instead of the, the black um, around the collar. And then when you watch the episode with Clint, the first TOS episode, which would have been the third one filmed, um, they, I, I believe a her, if I remember right, isn't in her red. She's in like a gold outfit, a captain sort of colors scheme. And that... Um, if it was that episode, it might have been a different one. Um, and also that that their shirts just fit weird, and they that you can tell they were kind of in between things. So um, yeah, be, before he just set the record, Walter Koenig had it. Yeah, but Koenig doesn't appear until the second season, so right Koenig can never get Koenig can now. Well, I guess you couldn't say he can never get it back. I suppose if he's in something next year, or the year after, he could get it back then because of the time distance difference. But, yeah, they said that he, from the first Star Trek episode he was in to the, voicing the Anton, voicing Anton Chekhov. Oh, okay. In Picard. Yes. But this came, the first one, the TOS episode, came before Chekhov, and this episode is after yeah, the Picard after. episode. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he gets it on both ends. So uh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh interesting. Don't know how long he'll hold on to that. He might just hold on to it forever, depending on point, if any of these other characters come back. Yeah. Because you wouldn't think 
you'd have Kirk on again or really Sue or Chekhov. I mean, so. Kirk wouldn't work unless he was on Discovery. What was that? Because Kirk wouldn't work because that character is in this timeline and is young. So you couldn't, right. you, you couldn't have Shatner come back and do it. No, I was saying if you had some sort of time travel episode or something. They could, they could have some episode where, where Kirk is, is like trapped in this kind of this alternate reality thing. Maybe having, you know, chop living in a cabin and chopping wood yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and then they go there and they see him. They could have something like that. That would be pretty cool. That would be cool. <laughs> but it would be something that it would be so epic. You know, I don't think you put an episode. You more put in a movie or something. But. Anything. Yeah, and if you could just get work. Picard involved too, it'd be really cool. That that's true. Yeah, if you could get them all in there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, I I think we'll leave folks at that. Um, not the best episode, not horrendous or anything. Um, certainly some places which I don't. We we very seldom say. You can say this about TOS episodes. You can say this about Next Generation episodes a lot. But of these modern episodes, at least for me, I have a hard time watching them and going, oh, if that was just written a little better or they missed this thing that they could have done, they pretty much max out what they could do on these episodes. So often I'm like, oh, I couldn't have, like, if you gave me total control over it, I wouldn't have come up with that good of an episode. There's no way. Um but certainly, when you look at like TOS, Turnabout Intruder, or something, and you're going, "Oh man, you can improve that so much." There's so many problems with it, um, you know, or some of the the crazy next gen episodes, you can improve. These series usually hit their mark pretty well, but this one missed a little bit. So anyway, enjoy, and we'll see you next time. And uh, we've already recorded our beginning of the musical episode, which is great. Uh, it was a fun episode. Um, and next week we're going to get together and we'll see the last episode of the season, which none of us have watched yet. It doesn't come out till next week. So exciting to conclude another season of Star Trek, though, uh, wish they would have more episodes. It would be nice to be talking about 15 episodes instead of 10 each year, but uh, that's outside of our control. So we'll see you folks next time. Thanks guys. This week, I am honored to host Babs Alusin-Makun, who plays Dr. Mbenga, and Melissa Navia, who plays Erica Ortegas, for a pair of interviews. We go behind the lines of the Klingon War, and we get an inside look at how this season's stunts came to be. I'll see you in the ready room for all that and more. Hey, nerds, I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek Universe. This week, the Enterprise crew welcomes a controversial Klingon diplomat aboard. But if that's unwelcome news for you, I am calling for a... Secrets are revealed in this week's episode of Strange New Worlds, and I'm going to be revealing spoilers in this edition of The Ready Room as well. So if you haven't seen this week's episode, titled Under the Cloak of War, take some time for self-care, stream it, and then rejoin me back here for all the top secret intel. Today, I have the tremendous opportunity to interview not one, but two of Strange New World's brilliant cast members. Babs Olosan-McCoon, who plays the Enterprise's chief medical officer, Joseph Mbenga, and Melissa Navia, who plays my fellow Enterprise pilot, Erica Ortegas. We go in-depth on their emotional performances in this week's episode as their characters confront the long-term effects of war. In Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the Enterprise crew has seen its fair share of action, requiring a lot of stunt work to make it look incredible on screen. Well, later, we'll take a peek behind the scenes to see how this season's epic stunts all came together. But first, in this week's episode, Dr. Mbenga and Nurse Chapel relived their time serving together on the front lines of the Klingon War. Here is a look at their unique relationship forged in the trenches of a war zone hospital. Control room, engage. Episode eight, uh, which goes through the backstory of Mbenga and Chapel, like it just felt very strong immediately uh, when I read it and appreciated the work the writers had done. But it was really 
lovely to see how it was put together and it felt incredible and, you know, lived in. It gave us a, a good window into what he's been through. In episode eight, we wanted to wrestle with the thorny issue of the legacies of war. Klingons claim to have honored the truce, but there have been incidents, raids on our outposts. No proof that the Klingons committed it. What proof do we need? We know what a Klingon is. Can you ever atone for doing something terrible? And we see different sides of it through Mabenga and also through General Ra, who is trying desperately to reform for his past. You were on Jigal. I was in the final conflict. And the massacre of Colony Athos. From the first moment that I read it, I love what they've written for Chapel this season. It was very complex, you know, like this, the, the themes that we were dealing with. Everyone really had their hearts in it. There was a real sense of care about doing it right, which I think is important with material like that. We got this. We got this. I prepared by watching a lot of documentaries and reading and just trying to get familiar with the experiences of, of people that had been through war, their experience of loss and, you know, just the PTSD that um, these guys have to deal with when they come back and function in society. I did a lot of research into Medivac and PTSD more broadly. He's in cardiac arrest. We're losing him. Manual stimulation. What? Grab his heart and start pumping. There was one character who had like shrapnel in his chest. And not only did we have, we had a, a very thin layover with kind of a, a relief of his heart that could beat. So he could lay there on the table while this was on him. Then for maybe other scenes where Nurse Chapel reaches in, she picks up the heart and manually stimulates the heart to get it to beat. When I first uh, booked the role um, of Ortegas, I, it was in the breakdown that she was not only like this fantastic pilot, but also a combat veteran. That was fully layered into, into what I brought to the character. A former enemy speaking on our behalf? It's incredible. Or it's a long con to gain access to Federation secrets. Just because he's Klingon. Trust me, I know Klingons. This guy with the peace treaties, that's not Klingons. I joke with Celia, we like layer in these microbeats, and I'm like, nobody's gonna know this, but at least we know it, and it's a story for us, and, and it, you know, it plays into everything else we do on screen. So the battlefield on the moon of Chikal turned out really, really well. We started very wide, the surface of the planet. I was working on it being a volcanic planet, so it's like black, angry rock. And it's a young planet, so new rocks are being pushed out of the landscape the whole time. It's got this very jagged quality. Then we had to build a Klingon city, where the battle would be focused. Our next challenge was to build the Federation kind of tent, pod, city. For the medical transporter area, it was kind of away from the battlefield, so we were looking out into the general landscape. And then when it came to doing the dormitory, we turned the asset again, and we had all the individual dormitory tents all spread out. And then we turned the asset one more time for the command area, and that was facing the battlefield. By the time we shot the battlefield sequence, uh, the asset had been fine-tuned and looked utterly spectacular. I think when you do war sets, uh, you bring in a texture and a tonality. So you bring in, uh, you know, worn elements. We have, we bring in cases, we bring in technology that we build. We kind of brought down everything from the Enterprise, but we made it more compact. So, you know, we have like the, you know, if we were going to the transporter room, we would see the sliders. Well, we built little cases that had the sliders that actually functioned to make them look portable and tactical. I told myself, I don't want to go home different. My family deserves better. We see now that's impossible. The goal here was to 
do what great classic Trek does, which is to, you know, struggle with some big issues. And not necessarily to come to a conclusion, but to fight through it. Just the act of fighting through it and wrestling with it shows the humanity of our characters. You know, it shows experience of being a human being is to experience sometimes things that are terrible. And how do you live and move forward from that? It is a great honor and privilege to chat with Babs Olusen Makun, who plays Dr. Joseph Mbenga today. Babs, welcome to the Ready Room. This week's episode was kind of a heavy one. Are you okay? I am coming around after some R and R. I'm doing better. Good to know. Um, Babs, war has been an issue Star Trek has confronted in various ways since Star Trek began in the 1960s. This episode, though, it really seems to take a deeper perspective on the personal horrors of war and its traumatic aftermath. Would you talk about this episode's nuanced look at war and the effect that war has on survivors? Absolutely. Well, um, as you frame this episode within uh, the era of the 60s, you're talking about the Vietnam War, you're talking about the Cold War. Most of us in the West are now exiting this era of peace and prosperity. Um, there's a war in Ukraine that everybody's aware of, uh, but there have been wars uh, going on in other parts of the world uh, for quite a long time. And um, this war that seems to be closer to others now or to more of us now gives us the opportunity to revisit our relationship with this human phenomenon, nonstop war. And nuance, that word, that you use is a perfect way to describe this episode. Joseph, we got this. We got this. Double team! This episode fleshes out Mbenga Chapel and Ortegas's backstories as they were all in this war together. How was it to further develop your characters and their relationships through this episode? Well, well, I'd say because of the sheer traumas of these three characters and the trust they developed because of it, the violence and vulnerability that they all carry, um, it forms this dynamic uh, that was very moving for us actors uh, in bringing this story forward. I had an acting teacher who once talked about keeping those unspoken emotions alive during the scene, and we do it with our body Mm -hmm. language and our looks, and I really felt that. I really believed that these three people had been through something horrible that will bond them together for the rest of their lives. Did that weight follow you off the set? Absolutely, in its own way. As actors, we... We want to lead with empathy, or at least I try to lead with empathy. And um, as a human being in the world uh, with conflict, we also search for empathy. Um, And um, this piece, this episode, asked a lot of us, and we tried to give, or we endeavored to give, what it was asking of us. It wasn't easy because you're trying to bring truth, uh, as much truth as possible, with as much sincerity and honor is really what I think I want to say, being honorable to the piece. So yeah, that was the challenge. And um, so it's not something that disappeared as we have it going on in the world around us. So we step into it if we keep our eyes open. Speaking of honor, the Klingons in this episode, it's a very important part of the story that we tell this week. Mm -hmm. When I was on the Enterprise, the Klingons are our allies. And and for my character, Wesley Crusher, Worf is one of Wesley's best friends. So we know that in the future, the Klingon Empire and the Federation become allies, but your characters don't know that. And, 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 and I was wondering how that lack of knowledge in your time period affected your preparation and performance. Well, you don't know. You don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know what you're facing. You've simply been told that these are the people doing these things to you and your people. And therefore, you respond to what you've been told and you end up facing an individual that you actually would be friends with Yeah. if it wasn't for this bigger conflict, right? And, you know, in the last number of months, I've met a number of Russians, you know, that have fled Russia and say, we don't want a part of this. 
So it's it's happening now, you know? Uh, we don't know, but we have this commonality. Um, if, if we give ourselves a chance to see it. One of the things I love about science fiction is it gives us the opportunity to have this conversation that you and I are having right now about, mm. uh, about something that is affecting everyone in the world, whether you're in Ukraine or you're in Somalia or you're in Ethiopia or Yemen or, or Central America. Like, I mean, this is, this is something that, that very much affects humanity. When I have had the opportunity and the privilege to perform within that kind of big idea storytelling, I think of it as a privilege and a responsibility. And, mm. and, and, I, and I, I have to work to stay out of my head and not get overwhelmed by all of everything that's going on. You did a ton of preparation to, to really understand uh, Dr. Mbenga and, 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 the, and the, 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 the way that he is in the war. Um, in all of that work and, and all of that, that preparation that you did, did you find commonality that kind of transcends conflict that that maybe inspired some character choices? I'd say yeah. I'd say yes. You know, at the end of the day, people want food, right? Water to drink, uh, a home, a roof over their heads, food for their children. So really, I approach it with my humanity, as I always try and do with every character. Um, and within a big idea, such as war, that was, I think that's the most important tool, uh, empathy. And what if I was this other person? And why is this other person fighting? Why am I going to face them? Why am I being told I have to face them on the field of combat? And uh, it's important that we stay in touch with that, you know, and have that empathy as artists. Uh, as human beings, we should have that empathy. But as artists, that's the only way we're going to get anywhere. The only way we can we can reveal any kind of truth. And what we're doing with this piece um, is simply trying to contribute to that legacy, the legacy of Sophocles, you know, in the Greek classics, uh, to Guernica, you know, yeah. the painting, to Apocalypse yeah. Now, the film. It's a subject yeah. that's one of the greatest works of art. I've always tried to tackle. And I think this episode, you know, and this show contributes to this legacy by addressing this big ideas with sincerity. I think maybe the, the highest compliment I can, I, I can pay this episode is uh, I very much look forward to it being banned by authoritarians in the future because they don't like the truth <laughs> that it tells. Um, let's talk a little oh, bit about, about some of your physicality in this episode. I did not know until just a few days ago that you have a background in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which uh, my yes. neck hurts just saying that. Talk to me. <laughs> about getting to show off some of your skills throughout the season. When Mbenga and Ra are having their uh, their fight, I watched you and I was like, oh wait, he really knows what he's doing. Well, the last thing on my mind is, you know, trying to show off or, you know, putting anything on display in terms of skill. Um, Jiu-Jitsu for me has been always about the discipline of centering myself. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's something that I've given life blood to for quite a while for quite a long time and it was very exciting to finally bring that duality uh to the work uh to this episode we are rapidly approaching the end of this season and it seems like a great time to talk about this this year we have seen just so much variety in the types of stories being told last week it was full-on comedy this week really really heavy Talk about how you adjust your performance to fit the tone of each episode and what goes into that. I would say that the genre-bending spectrum of storytelling uh, that our show dances with uh, really forces me to just think as expansively as possible. I don't know about yours. Every day, maybe even every hour in my life, genre bends pretty radically. That's amazing. Uh, Babs, thank you so much for your work on the show. And thanks a lot for making time to join us in the ready room today. I'm looking forward to being in the same place with you soon. Thank you so, so much, Will. Thank you so, so much for your time. 
In this week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, actor Clint Howard returns to the Star Trek universe, appearing in his fifth Star Trek series and portraying his fifth character, Buck Martinez. In what series did Clint make his Star Trek debut? A, Star Trek The Original Series, B, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, C, Star Trek Enterprise, or D, Star Trek Discovery? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. I am so excited to talk to my fellow Enterprise pilot, Melissa Navia, who plays Erica Ortegas. Melissa, welcome back to the Ready Room. Will, how is it going? I'm so happy to be back. I really wanted to be in the room with you this season, but this still works. It's still wonderful. Ah, I'm so happy to talk about season two. I wasn't sure if I was going to admit this to you, but I've decided I'm going to head and I'm going to go ahead and do this. Uh, Over uh, all the episodes of Strange New Worlds I've watched, I've really come to just really love Ortegas. Uh, I think she's so uh, she's so unbelievably cool. She's so super grounded. (laughs) I know that I'm not the only person who has had that type of reaction to your character. Um, and I'm just, I, I wonder, oh, I like, it. like, have you had those interactions, those direct interactions with fans who were just like, oh, my God, she is so cool. I want to be her. Absolutely. Um, and, and I remind everyone that I, I am not anywhere near as cool as Ortegas. Like, that is thanks to our incredible writing, uh, for sure, and, um, and a little bit of, of my ability to, to act. Um, but she is, I mean, I want to be Ortegas, you know? Like, what does future me look like? I'm like, yeah. it would be Ortegas, I hope. 70% copy. It is the last time they dent our paint job. One of the very cool things has been, uh, you know, meeting uh, meeting actual pilots, meeting astronauts, meeting um, Air Force members, meeting uh, soldiers, meeting people who do this for a living. And they're like, when we see you, we feel like you are flying the Enterprise. And that right there, I'm like, okay, I've done something I've done something right. This week we found out a great deal about Erica's backstory and the way that she deals with this Klingon ambassador. And, you know, the instant he beams onto the Enterprise, just as a member of the audience, I was like, I don't like this guy. I don't trust this guy. He's a bad mm. dude. He's, pre- he's, a, he's a bad person pretending to be good. But I responded very, very strongly to all of you being forced to sit and have dinner with this guy. And the way that Ortega's, I thought, conducted herself with extraordinary honor. Like, you know, Klingons always talk about honor. What she did was so honorable. Standing up for the people that that, that, that guy slaughtered. Talk to me about her backstory. Is there anything you want to share that you thought of that sort of came up in, the, in this episode? I felt like there was something in her that I have not seen before. Absolutely. And I think uh, with the writing, too, I mean, I mean, right from the top when she's on the bridge and she's talking with Uhura and... You know, she's so frazzled almost, and it's it's not it's not in her nature to be, especially when she's in the captain's chair, which is a is a chair she loves to be in. And she's you know kind of listing off the things that have happened. I didn't mean to hit a nerve. It's okay. You're right. I don't really know what he's about. All I know is the stories, like that he killed his own men to cover his retreat. There's a reason other Klingons call him the Butcher of Jagal. Captain on the bridge. How do you welcome, you know, a person like this onto the ship? And how do we, how do we, how are we supposed to sit down and have dinner with somebody who has done these things? And so right from the get-go, you get this, this impression that you're seeing a, a side of her where she is, is standing up for what she believes is right. And you see that that, that has a backstory, that she was a soldier and she was in the war and she has a loyalty to, to, to people that she fought with. Um, and that she fought for. You have played similar characters in your career. Did any of your previous experience come in and and, and help you in in, in building her for this episode? When I've realized, you know, oh, I I do play a lot of soldiers. um, That's something that's been very um, special to me because because I am not a soldier in real life and I I want to do my absolute best to to portray it in a way that is is real, accurate, um, and that that honors the role of, of, of what soldiers have been through. And so hearing, you know, originally when I was cast that, that her backstory was as a soldier in addition to a pilot, um, I was like, cool, awesome. We're going we're gonna to do this. And hearing from soldiers that they feel that they are accurately presented um, by Ortegas on screen, um, for me is, again, is, is, is everything. Here, you know, hearing that people think, you know, she looks like she's actually flying the Enterprise again. That's, that's I have one job and that is it. Um, and so, so yeah, I do think that, that all of that has lent itself to, um, to what I have brought to Ortegas and, and just really always kind of going back to, there are people out there who have actually lived this life and have, have, have been in battle and, have, and, you know, have comrades who have fallen. And, and so I'm just always trying to, 
to honor that, respect that, and also then then bring the life of the story that I'm I'm presenting and and infuse that. And that's you know I'm, that's what we do as actors, right? We bring a story together and then we make it so that the audience, you know, feels like they uh, that they can relate. In my research and homework for talking to you today, um, I learned that uh, in fandom uh, that. A lot of people say that Ortegas and Ortegas's experience, her experience with grief and loss, has very much helped them in their personal experience with grief and loss. I want to touch on this as respectfully and gently as I possibly can. I know that you have experienced grief and loss and, and, and that you have been willing to, to, to speak about that in a way that uh, has been deeply meaningful and, and, and helpful to a lot of people. Um, when you hear someone tell you, listen, your character means this series of things to me, how does that make you feel? Oh, um, it's, it's everything, right? Because, um, you know, the reason we're here is to, is to make a difference, right? Is to, is to, to leave this world with something that nobody else could, could do in the way we could do it, right? So, um... I remember, uh, well, I mean, we could be here a while, Will, but uh, at, essentially, you know, what, what you're speaking of is, is um, I lost my partner at the end of 2021, um, which was right before, uh, you know, pretty much right before uh, season one premiered. And um, it was, uh, you know, grief became, I became grief, grief became me. Um, and uh, his name was Brian, and uh, he was an absolute force of nature. And... Uh, I just, uh, everything and still, you know, much of what I want to talk about is Brian. You know, he was, he was my rock. He was my other half. Um, and then what started happening was, was suddenly all, you know, fans and, and, and people were, were telling me that, you know, me speaking about Brian allowed them to speak about people in their lives who they've lost. And especially too, like people who were Star Trek fans who they used to love watching Star Trek with. And so it's so interesting because I didn't really even think about that. Like my, my goal when what happened happened, um, was not to let people know that, that I lost Brian, but like to let them know that I'd had Brian, you know, yeah. like that I have Brian. Yeah. Um, because he was, he was everything. And during uh, season one, you know, he came out to Canada with me to Toronto and stayed with me the full six months, you know, when we were, we were there and we had the, um, the quarantine, uh, uh, rules and the regulations, the border restrictions. Um, so I, I told fans, I said, you know, season one, everything you see of, of, of me was, was truly made possible um, by him, you know, by my other half. That, that's why we have other halves in this life is to, is to, is to, is to make things, um, things like that possible. And so as I'm talking to fans, right, I've had fans reach out to me and, and say, you know, that in the, when season one came out, before season two came out, that they just lost somebody or they, or they used to always watch, uh, you know, this Star Trek or that Star Trek with, with this, um, this person in their lives who's no longer there. And so it became almost this thing of, uh, you know, I want people to, to see season one and see, you know, that's a season where Melissa had her, her ride or die, her, her person physically right next to her. Season two, he is very much still there. Um, and the reason that I think, you know, season two for me is I'm incredibly proud of it. Um, for all of us, for every, everything that, that the whole cast did, but me in particular, like I, I seldom like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm super proud of this thing I did. But pretty much every day I was crying at some point. That's the truth. Um, and it's a testament to, to, to Brian for sure, because I kept saying I'd be on set and I'd be like, Brian would not be impressed if I fell apart right now. It just can't. It cannot. Oh. But also to everybody on that set, like um, particularly speaking about 208, um, I remember Jeff Bird, our director, like, you know, at one point, um, like we had a group scene and sometimes I'd be fine, you know, again, I was super professional at all times, but sometimes there'd be like a group scene and I would just need a moment and I just need to not be, but I wouldn't want to make a thing. And I remember one time Jeff just like poking his head out and being like, are you cool? And I was just like, yes. And that, and knowing that at all times, the directors, producers, cast, writers had my back, um, was just beautiful and that kept me going. And so I see scenes where I'm just like, I know that like five minutes earlier, like I was, you know, I was really having a tough time and then I would pull it together. Um, and, uh, and I'd say too, for people who are watching, you know, season two, like the, I, something that I had to kind of, um, that I had to figure out as we started filming was I was almost like, I was like, how am I supposed to be, you know, that like cocky, fun, 
loving, life is great, you know, crap happens, but we get over it, Ortegas, when right now I just, do you know, I, I don't yeah. feel that. Of course I'm acting, but then it like, but then beyond that, I was thinking about what Star Trek is for so many people. You know, that the Star Trek is not about being hopeful when everything is just great, do you know? Yeah, it's not yeah. about, you know, everything is always just, you know, sunshine. No, the whole thing is that bad things happen. Things that you didn't want to happen, happen. Adversity happens. And so it's that hopefulness in the face of adversity, um, which I think is what keeps us coming back to Star Trek. It is inspiring to me. First of all, may his memory be a blessing. And it is inspiring to me, so inspiring to me, that you are living by example of living, living with grief and living through grief and, and not, not allowing it to completely define you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making time. It is such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I really look forward to being in the same place as you again. Very, very soon. The pleasure is all mine, Will, until we see each other again in person. Whether it's something as deceptively simple as doing the famous Star Trek shake or as complicated as engaging in a grueling fight scene, Strange New Worlds has a lot of stunts. And this week's episode was no exception. So we here in the Ready Room thought you might like to see what goes into creating these action-packed sequences. Check it out. Oh, we had a lot of cool stunts this year. Right from the first episode, we had a massive fight scene. We had a car chase. We had people come through a time portal and crash into our world. Guess we're doing this. No point being scared, let's go. One of the most exciting things we got to do this year was a car chase, which is not something you would expect you'd get to do on Star Trek. So that was exciting in itself. We found the characters involved were James Kirk, whom we didn't know, you know, story-wise, whether to expect he'd ever driven a car before. There it is. He's got the guts and the wherewithal to pull off anything like this, and he didn't disappoint. Absolutely, we used a stunt double for a lot of the driving, and then we were able to put Paul into the driver's seat up on the AR wall. Oh man, it's been nothing short of exciting, daunting, fun, challenging. I mean, you sort of go through this roller coaster of emotions. That was a person. All right, well, actually, keep holding on. So when we composed a fight scene for Chapel and Mbenga against these couple dozen of Klingons, it was an amazing fight scene. We had to do a whole intricate choreography. It takes time and creativity, and I've got a great team with me of fighters and stunt guys, and Babs, who plays Mbenga, has a real strong background in jiu-jitsu. So we were really excited to get a chance to play with him. Babs is physically very proficient, and he has a bunch of training that allows him to use his body extremely formidably. Are you sure you're up for full impact? I have done jiu-jitsu for many, many years, and I was teaching it for quite a bit of time. <laughs> but I always had it separate from acting. So it's been interesting piecing those together and trying to work with uh, stunt choreographers and fight choreographers and really just trying to adjust things the way I feel they could manifest in Mbenga. Whenever possible, we will put Babs in a spot where he can kick some ass. There's a real art to not hurting anybody while you're doing this. You have to sell it, so you have to do it at full force, but you have to be really careful not to actually hit anyone. So 207, we had a crossover episode, uh, which was exciting. We had to find out how we would move somebody from an animated world into our world. There was a portal involved, and like any good portal, you don't come through it gently, you come through it flying and crashing into our world. The stunt work going through the portal, I wish I could take credit for that. It is not me. It is my amazing stunt double, Boston Camilleri. He did an amazing job, as he always does. We built a, a ramp for the stunt performer to run on and at the, the one spot in the portal where it transitioned from animated world into our world, he just launches himself and flies through the air and crashes to the ground. And then we pick it up with just me doing a, I think we coined the term a comedy straddle, because um, Jack's laying flat on the ground and then cut, all right, now comedy straddle. And I get on top of my friend and be like, ah, you know, just a classic platonic, not at all sensual comedy straddle. Oh, hell yeah! I did it! I'm very into stunts. The rehearsal and preparation for that was so much fun. It was fantastic, really. We collaborate. It's a lot of rehearsing and a lot of, I have to admit, very fun collaboration. 
In this week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, actor Clint Howard returns to the Star Trek universe, appearing in his fifth Star Trek series and portraying his fifth character, Buck Martinez. In what series did he make his Star Trek debut? Star Trek the original series, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Enterprise, or Star Trek Discovery? And the answer is... Star Trek The Original Series. A nine-year-old Howard played the childlike being Baylock in the season one episode The Corbomite Maneuver, which was just the tenth episode of Star Trek to ever air. After this week's intense episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I think we could all use something just a little bit lighter. I have just the thing, an exclusive clip from next week's episode. That's our twelfth attempt at sending a message through the subspace vault. Thirteen. That's not exactly what I would call a lucky number. What makes you think that this particular fool will lead to faster communication? Frequencies propagate through it three times faster than normal. With our current relay network, it takes weeks to send a message across the quadrant. Imagine being able to do it in moments and getting a near instant reply. Real-time communication across thousands of light years. Only so far, no one's heard us. Have you tried sending music through? We have not. Do you believe music may yield a different result? Well, you are trying to communicate through a medium with different laws of physics, so perhaps fundamental harmonics are the answer. Hmm? You know, it was just a thought. But perhaps an excellent one. You picked a song, Yoda. Let's see if Subspace is a fan of the Great American Songbook, huh? In olden days, a glimpse of stockin' was a looked on as something shocking, but now God knows anything goes. Y'all, I have seen next week's episode, and I'm not allowed to talk about it, but I will tell you. It is truly a strange new world in the very best way you will be talking about it for years. I am so excited for you to see it. Thank you to Babs Olosan Makun and Melissa Navia for a pair of remarkable conversations. And thank you for being here in the ready room with me today. Talking about the Star Trek universe with all y'all is one of my favorite things to do in any timeline. Next week, I visit with Christina Chong about everything that goes on in Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, Episode 9, Subspace Rhapsody. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper. Prosper.